Welcome to Jarcast. Thanks for tuning in. We are the only podcast that is recorded and broadcast using the Fazlane emergency speaker system. You're all going to have to get used to it eventually. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) This, this, uh, This evening in the recording on the show, we are actually having a bit of serious chat about Ukraine and the conflict with Russia, about NATO in general, and about the Western approach to war. It's going to be a barrel of laughs. Uh, As always, I am joined by my host, John and AB. How you doing, guys? Uh, Yeah. Evening. Uh, And our two guests, Bill and Jack, who have taken time out of their day to come and join the conversation. Bill, Jack, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Glad to be here. Very interested to hear uh, what you guys have got to say. And, uh, of course, I'm woefully underinformed. Um, so this should be good fun for me. I might learn something, and uh, let's see how let's see what happens. All right. Well, thank you for. Little... Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, go for it, Jack. <laughs> well, thank you for having us, and yeah, it it will be fun, and it will be fun to to listen, and it would be interesting to listen to uh, your opinion and and so on. So glad to be here. Fantastic. I would, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, <clears throat> um, I would uh, like to absolutely echo Bill's statement of being woefully underprepared. I've mentioned this multiple times on recordings we've done. I'm probably politically quite naive. Um, so this is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like the fish in the barrel you're for be- Bill and Jack to target. You're going to be like, you're just going to go on with your feelings and not care about what facts are. Yeah, I mean, why not? That's why Western not? media, man. That's what we do. <laughs> and that's actually a brilliant point, Bill, because I think one of the things I'd like to bring up was the fact that the BBC and ITV and Sky, um, for once, are operating in almost perfect harmony to deliver this incredibly one-sided narrative that Russia is just a big old meanie pants that's attacked Ukraine for no reason whatsoever, and that you, the Ukrainian government are just sweet little bunnies who, you know, would never hurt a fucking fly. Uh, and I see people on Facebook and social media simping for Zelensky, the Nazi sympathizing collaborator. Yeah, um, what the hell is that about? Yeah, it's fucking madness. So the Ukrainian government has funded many Nazi paramilitary groups. Um, And it's not like they've went, right, we need people to do the gardening. Let's give these Nazis some jobs. They've employed Nazis to do Nazi stuff. And then Zelensky's, you know, they're like, right, we need an ethnic cleansing in this region. Nazis are good at ethnic cleansing. Let's get them in. Let's get them to do it. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, so, oh Western media person kind of thing, like, I've fucking no idea what you're talking about. And I know that's going to be a big part of the conversation that um, you are going to go into that side of educating people. But can I make a suggestion that we, uh, throughout this, maybe direct people to sources? Because... Um, otherwise, we're going to get labelled as like, oh, you're just like them COVID denying lot. Yeah, are saying the that the, the media are all in harmony because they're just trying to pedal what they want to pedal. It's Mate, all a can, hoax. It's all a hoax. Can, Russia haven't invaded at all. That's the shit that would come in. So you know, I have we seen can give some all of that. 
we could give all the sources we want. The moment they read something that doesn't align with their idea, they're going to say, no, this is fake news. Well, see, that's it. It's like, I mean, if you want to, guys, go to rt.com. That's Rufa Russia, Tiffa Today, dot for dot and com. And that will give you uh, an alternative point of view. That's a, a public information announcement for all our viewers. I know they're listeners, but anyway. Um, I was going to make a point there and I've forgotten it. Oh, yeah. It's the it's it's the first strike. So, so it's what people are told first. So people were told first the yeah. narrative that uh, Russia bad, Ukraine good, and only one thought can stick in people's heads. But if the first bit of news that come out, the first instruction that come out had been Ukraine neo Nazis, Ukrainian soldiers wearing uh, neo Nazi insignia. On their, on their uniforms and there's Azov battalion and all this sort of stuff and taking it from there. That's the road we're all been going down. What we can't do, it appears, as, as listeners and viewers of the news, what we can't do is hear one narrative, then hear another narrative and sit back and scratch your heads and say, hmm, stroke our chins and say, that's interesting. I wonder what the real truth is because these two versions seem to be, you know, no, it has to be one, or the other. Somebody's lying. That's it. Simple as that. We're fucking simpletons, a lot of us. All of us. <laughs> I, would, I would echo that as a, it's not even just in, in serious conversations like this. If you look at literally any fucking situation ever, take it to the simple thing of uh, like a couple breaking up, a husband and a wife, there's always going to be one side to the story that is listened to and people won't go one side, two sides, the truth is somewhere in the middle between them both. Um, so it's not even just in this context that that actually applies. So, To be fair, in this particular situation, it's not exactly hard to portray Russia as the bad guy. <sighs> so it's very, well, by that I mean it's very easy to, to believe that if, if there's a conflict, that Russia must be the bad one. I You've definitely... just said that against... Oh, Pardon, John. No, you go on, John, you go on. I'll, I'll get an FD. I was literally just going to say, you've just said that on a call with three communists. So I'm actually glad you said that because it's, it's given me two points to come back to. So the, the first thing is, I think Abby's absolutely right. The way the media spin has been is so easy to look at Russia as the aggressor here because they've seemingly, if you just go by Western media, invaded Ukraine more or less unprovoked. And, you know, the amount of people I've seen on Facebook, you say, oh, Putin's trying to rebuild the Russian Empire. Putin's trying to rebuild the Soviet Union glory days. And in actual fact, this conflict kicked off in 2014 uh, and has been going on ever since. And strictly speaking, if we all agree with the basic principle of self-determination, Putin didn't invade Ukraine. The troops moved into the Donbass region, which is made up of two independent republics that want to break away from Ukraine. Um, but I've also seen people, and this is just coming back to the point that John was making, um, saying, you know, Russia is still communist when they just frankly haven't been for almost 40 years. And that's me talking about the official fall of the Soviet Union, not just the, <clears throat> the philosophical idea that, well, did they abandon communism in the 50s, 60s, 70s? When exactly was it abandoned? But the Soviet Union collapsed nearly 40 years ago. But this idea that Russia is communist still persists. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, sorry, Jack. Sorry. No, I agree with Ron on 
on everything and with Bill. Um, I think it's it's true that it, it's easy right now to see Russia as a bad guy because we forgot. We, we thought that uh, in 2014, the, the actual coup that was organized also by European Union and by the US, it was a coup. But we think because it was in another country and because the people were uh, rioting against a, a more pro-Russian uh, government, we think it's a, uh, it was a riot for democracy and so on. So Azov Battalion obviously come after this and in, during Euro, Euromaidan and the riots in 2014, we had Pravi Sector and Svoboda that were the main Nazi party at the, at the time. And they were already organized and they were organized during the demonstration and the riots and so on. So um, we forgot about that. We, we paint them as good guy in 2014. And I remember, at least in Italy, uh, uh, we had like this center left party and they were going to Ukraine to support democracy and the fight for European Union and so on. And they were actually taking pictures with people in neo-Nazi parties. So it's not something that it's portrayed now as Russia as the bad guy, but it was already, the narrative it was already this one. Uh, we, we painted them as the good guys in 2014, and we forgot about the Donbass region and the Donbass republics and so on. And now it's super easy to say, ah, well, Russia is the bad guy. Even if I don't agree with Russia right now, but that's another, maybe for later. Um, but absolutely, I mean, it's it's super easy to paint them as bad guys. And so, can I ask a question here? Um, yeah, because <clears throat> essentially, what I'm picking up from the way you're talking is the one that I can remember is when Catalan tried to vote for independence, um, and it was obviously very firmly stamped on by the Spanish government. Ron, you've you've stated that this uh, these two republics are independent. It would appear that they're not actually, but they want it in the same way that a lot of Scots want independence from England. Um, is this essentially a case of there is two regions or one region made up of two republics um, within Ukraine that want independence from Ukraine? The Ukrainian government firmly opposes that and isn't wanting to allow it, and they're they've basically got the backing of the rest of the of Europe and, and the West against these two republics, right? Is that a fair summary of what pretty, the, that situation is? Pretty much. What I would say is that the um, the two republics, so Donetsk and uh, Luhansk, uh, they aren't as... <clears throat> they, their independence isn't as ambiguous as Scotland's. They are semi-autonomous and they issue their own passports um, and have their own military uh, but they are still officially part of Ukraine um, so did, uh, as far as like, the only countries that recognise the two republics are Russia and China no other member of the UN recognises them independent states and yet they issue their own passports, have their own elections 
have their own legal systems because the Ukrainian government can enforce their will on these two places. And what Russia has done, because obviously we've sort of we've pushed back against the, the narrative that Russia is just a big meanie pants. Uh, but you know, Russia's attacks on the actual parts of Ukraine are immoral and they're affecting innocent people. And mm-hmm. we have to be clear, we don't support Russia doing that. Um, but it's also the case that Russia has been very opportunistic in saying, well, these parts, well, these two republics are largely ethnically Russian uh, and they support us. They want to have closer ties to Russia than with Europe. <clears throat> so we are going to support these republics on their independence campaign because it's convenient for us. Can I ask you? Convenient yeah. for them in that it also enables them to then go on and attack the rest of Ukraine. No, because they've got no particular... The reason Ukraine is being attacked is to scare off NATO. Yeah, and this is the part I'd actually like, like just a bit of fact-checking on uh, from someone who may be a bit more educated on the on the subject. Because it's, uh, it's a theory that I heard about, about a week ago, a uh, week and a half ago, is that because of the, the geographical position of, uh, what is it, is Don, Donetsk and what was the other? Luhansk. Is it Luhansk? Luhansk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they have, quote unquote, be, uh, separated from Ukraine, uh, and Ukraine is still part, obviously, of um, NATO, that Russia made a preemptive strike to occupy that area because, because, the, because if, if NATO came in first, to take over those areas, it gives them a strategic advantage in the sense that they can then build, uh, I can't remember what missile it was, but basically builds a, a specific type of missile silo that then puts uh, Moscow within reach mm-hmm. in an area that Russia could, if NATO did this, it's an area that Russia could then do nothing about. Yeah, it's one of these things where when the, when the Soviet Union collapsed and Russia was reorganized as the Russian Federation, they made an, a, an arrangement, a peace treaty with NATO, that NATO would no travel any further to the east. Uh, and they've went totally against that. Almost every single European country that borders Russia has joined NATO, mm-hmm. apart from Ukraine and apart from Finland, which remains neutral, but obviously has close ties to Western Europe in general. So Russia's sitting here going, why are my enemies, who are supposed to have an uneasy peace way, building military bases all around my border? So they've said to Ukraine, I mean, and again, this is, this is you know, imperialism at its finest, but Russia basically told Ukraine, if you line yourself up with Europe, if you line yourself up with NATO, we will not protect you. And by we will not protect you, they meant we will invade. And they've used the, the proliferation in Nazis in Ukraine as a reason. So it's like, oh, we're only going there to kill the Nazis by blowing these buildings up. So it really is basically the Ukrainian government wants closer ties to Europe because they were overthrown by pro-European organizations. NATO wants to box Russia in and Russia wants to push NATO away. And all these groups are using the Ukrainian people as pawns in this horrific fucking power struggle. One of the things I... Right. One of the things I sort of struggled around my head around here, NATO was formed, what, shortly after World War II? Yeah, the exact date. Um, and was essentially formed to basically 
try and prevent what Germany did with the like its invasions and obviously what triggered World War II with the invasion of Poland, if I'm getting my facts actually accurate and not just repeating the shite that they teach us in, you know, history. In That's like 1949, I just checked it for you. Yeah, 49. Yeah. Right. But that, that was why NATO was formed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously Russia um, was a big part of the like the latter half of World War II, right? Yep. So if NATO was designed to essentially prevent a country from doing what Germany had done, why do Russia have a problem with that? They, it's, it's almost like they're acting now as if they feel it is very targeted against them. NATO was formed at the end of World War II, but partially to prevent, you know, such a large-scale conflict from breaking up again, but also as a direct response to the Soviet Union's Warsaw Pact. So it was, from the very beginning, an anti-Soviet organisation. What was the Warsaw Pact? Please educate That was basically a military agreement between various uh, Eastern European countries that the Soviet Union would protect them. Eastern European NATO. Yeah. We've all, see, we've all seen the film The Godfather, right? Or we've seen some mafia film, mm-hmm. right? And we all know that the mafia uh, was founded in the little islands of Italy, uh, the, the, the Cosa Nostra, all this sort of stuff, right? So the basic, and I know I'm talking to an Italian here, but my understanding is that the, 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 the <laughs> basic, I, I'm just, I'm just uh, acknowledging that, uh, you know, you might have more. Anyway, point being, right? There's these little farmers out in small holdings in Corsica, Sardinia, Sicily, all these little islands, right? And it's lawless. It's like bandit country. So bandits can just come along, rape them, right, rape their wives, steal their food, shoot them, whatever. It's fucking lawless. And the Carabinieri from the mainland of Italy, they can't be asking out to these little islands to look after them. So what do the farmers do? They club together and they form like uh, an extreme neighborhood watch organization with guns. So when the bandits come, the bandit goes to one farm, they all run and shoot and shoot at the bandits and scare the bandits away. So this started off as a good thing to scare away the bad guys. Unfortunately, it was kind of vigilantism because it wasn't really kind of very well governed. And what happens is when you get a bunch of angry males and give them guns and no governance and then just do what the fuck they want, they tend to run wild and start behaving like cunts. And you get Americans. Mafia was born. <laughs> Look at America. There you go. So that's how the mafia was formed. So it started off as a good thing with good intentions and nobody would really argue with it. And it turned into fucking Don Corleone. Yeah. So we just heard the story of NATO. So NATO was formed to act as a counterweight to the big bad Russians. The Warsaw Pact was formed as a counterweight to this NATO. And it was, it was kind of nice. It was kind of like at one point there was a lovely uh, a balancing act going on. So like India and Pakistan, they've got nuclear missiles pointing at each other, but they don't tend to actually fight each other. It's, it actually, it, it's, it's a nice equilibrium is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Is, is this not what would essentially get referred to as the Cold War then? Yeah. 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 And the Cold War, the Cold War, for all the fact that we, when, when I was a lad, because I'm elderly, uh, we were supposed to be scared that a nuclear missile would come. And there were nuclear, uh, there were adverts on the telly and the BBC telling you what to do in the event of a nuclear attack, which was stand in the doorway or some fucking nonsense, you know? Uh, <laughs> get under your school desk. Yeah. What, watch, watch the animated film when the wind blows. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And it's Raymond, that guy that did the snowman. So anyway, NATO 
potentially, possibly good thing gone bad. Warsaw Pact, potentially good thing gone bad. That's my company worth there. Cold War, good. Uh, hot War, not so. Well, the Cold War was probably <laughs> the, the biggest peacekeeping operation in human history because everybody was too afraid to, to go. Like, but what, was, what I think is maybe quite relevant here is people think that Putin is unreasonable for being unhappy. All these NATO bases cropping up around them. But the Soviet Union put missiles in Cuba and the Americans freaked the fuck out. That's right. 80 yeah. miles, 80 miles from Cuba. And the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1969, and everyone in the whole world had to go and get new underpants because they were fucking terrified. And we were just hearing a second ago about the potential Ukraine as a NATO country could have missiles, who knows if they're nuclear or not, six fucking inches from Russia. I mean, a border's it's a pencil line on a map, right? So if it's a dire situation to have nuclear missiles 80 miles away from your mainland, yeah. then how fucking scary is it if they're in the country down there? It's like if, if England and Scotland and then England has nuclear missiles right in the border at Carlisle or Berwick, I'm not even sure where the border is. Pretty fucking close, right? The other side of that river that they have, you know? What do you guys think about the... Um, so obviously, as there's a genuine concern that if NATO were to get directly involved in this conflict it could spark off a, a, a global conflict on the scale of the Second World War. Uh, and that's why Britain hasn't directly got involved. They've mm -hmm. engaged in economic sanctioning. They've engaged in economic imperialism. And so you see all these articles, uh, you know, people kind of use Netflix and McDonald's is closing and this is closing and that is yeah. closing. Apple has been removed from Russia. Apple's been removed from Russia. And it seems bizarre to me to punish innocent Russian people for something that the government's doing. Especially when you consider that, like, a sanction is not going to affect a multimillionaire. If he wants his iPhone, he will just order it and pay the extra to get it smuggled in. Aye, but... so... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, but... buddy. I'm like... I, you maybe don't agree with, like, punishing the innocent people, but how do you send a message to a government about the their actions being utterly unacceptable by without killing those innocent people. Now you're going to come at me with, you know, if you starve these people um, because you've taken away the, this financial stability, then they're going to die anyway. But what's better, the fact <laughs> trying to prevent that through a non an indirectly non-lethal act um, or launching nukes. Like, if you can turn the Russian people against the government and they lose yeah. that, um, that sort of support and backing of their people, then that can potentially instigate change. It can change the will of the people and start moving things in the other direction. So I get why... The, that's what the UK are engaging in. I mean, I, I read it this afternoon that the ruble has essentially tanked so hard that it's fucking worthless. You say that these oligarchs um, can afford just to smuggle in an iPhone. How much of their assets is actually liquid? I would imagine probably not that much of it. So the amount of money that they've just lost Almost all the liquid asset assets will be in US dollars anyway. Yeah. 
But more importantly... You can't fucking get it, though. Or Hungarian more, foreigns, if you believe the media here. Yeah. <clears throat> more importantly, though, you know, when we engage in economic imperialism, the people who are being hurt and most directly impacted are the children, the disabled, the elderly, and the vulnerable. And at what point do we go, how many of these people do we kill by throttling them before it's unacceptable? And these people are only going to turn against their government when you start putting a boot against their neck. Because the Russian government has been stockpiling foreign currency and bullion for decades to make themselves sanction-proof. So when the Russian government says, don't worry, we have a solution to this problem, these people are going to sat, side closer with their government. Right, so what's your solution then? You're, Diplomacy. You're, so that's all well and good at the point where they're actually willing to be diplomatic. But it basically appears that Putin's not. I mean, it, it immediately brings back into my mind that um, that Doctor Who scene that I sent you with Capaldi going off and they had the two boxes. You know, the only real solution to this is for everyone to do what they should have fucking done from the first place and was always going to be inevitable. Sit down and talk. Yeah, now, this is... What, one side is willing to do that, though, which is where you then yeah, have that this... side, the side that's willing to do it is Putin. Putin has been trying to open a dialogue since 2014. Since 2014, Putin has been saying, do not build more NATO bases around my border. Do not try and destabilise Ukraine and recognise that Crimea is Russia, that Donbass is independent and Luhansk is independent. And Russia has sent has sent plenty of envoys and diplomats and said, we will sit down and talk so long as you agree to these four demands. So Putin, for all these faults, like the invasion was a moral travesty and it's hurting innocent people. But Putin has been trying to open dialogues since 2014 and been ignored every single time. And also, we, we didn't give a chance to Russia to, to, to talk because we they throw them uh, out of uh, G7, G20, G7 and stuff like that. So even if they asked or even if they proposed something, we didn't listen to them. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, not defending he... Putin or anything, but I'm yeah. just saying, if they want no, because... to talk and they have proposal to stop the war and to say something on Crimea and Donetsk and stuff like that. We just s- start sanctioning and, and closing every mm, diplomatical channels. Yeah, and I get that because like every time Russia does make an attempt, and again, like cannot stress highly enough, do not support what Russia is doing right now. <laughs> but every time Russia has made an attempt to do like what you've said, Ron, send envoys to, to open a dialogue, it always gets sort of uh, that that attempt always gets like a bucket of shit thrown over it uh, by the media for some other for some other Russian related incidents. I like I don't remember. I don't know if you remember. Oh, when was it? I think it was back in 2018 or 2017 when in London, some Russian diplomat, someone who was living in London, was poisoned to death <laughs> through a coffee after two Russian envoys had come to the UK. And uh, again, like it's one of these things, every time a step is made, regardless of what, you know, what the, 
what the intention behind that step is. Every time a step is made, the sort of the opportunity is taken to say, Russia's here, you know, turn on the green lights, turn on the scary music, here comes the bad guys. Yeah, look out, here come the reds. <laughs> it, it just seems like a, a really extreme game of fucking risk. Yep. Like, you know, I've got my chess pieces here. You've got your chess pieces there. You know, was there... I don't know if, like, well, if I'm looking at a map right now, um, in terms of where there are NATO bases, but obviously there's Ukraine. So let's say there's one in Belarus. I don't know if Belarus approached NATO or if NATO approached Belarus. I don't know what way that's going. But if a country itself is making a decision to change its allegiances, then maybe Russia stops needs to stop being such a big fucking child about it. But and how let would you that, feel about let nuclear? That, how would you feel about nuclear bases being built all around your door by an organisation that agreed they wouldn't do it? So even if right, nuclear bases all around our door. But yeah, I know. But that's what I mean, right? Like even if right, if it's these countries that are approaching NATO for membership, what mm-hmm. NATO should have been doing is saying, "We're really sorry, but we agreed that you guys can't join NATO. We agreed to a peace treaty. You guys can't be members." Well, at, at the point where Ukraine left the Soviet Union, it had a shitload of nuclear weapons. It had something like a. This is something I've prepared and I scribbled it down. I can't find it. One third of the Soviet nuclear arsenal. For young people, that's about 33%. And it agreed that it would relinquish these weapons in return for concrete guarantees, specific concrete guarantees from three main players, the US, the UK, and Russia. And these three countries said, if you get rid of your nukes, because we all want to get rid of nukes because they're all nice and we like peace and cuddling and everything, then we will guarantee the safety and security of your borders, right? So uh, Ukraine said, oh, good, okay, cool. So we won't have bad nuclear weapons that might go off in the middle of the night and kill people, and we don't have to maintain them, and we'll contribute to world peace, and people will think we're nice, and we'll have flowers in our hair, and I will have a cake and eat it because you guys are guaranteeing the safety of my borders. Now, if I was a country and the US, the UK, and Russia said, we will defend you no matter. We will, we will preserve the integrity with us so I can sleep quite well at night. Well, those guarantees were about as good as when you buy a car and you get a warranty with it. You buy a used car and you get a warranty. And then you take it back to the garage when something goes wrong. Like, I'm dreadfully sorry, I'm afraid that bit of the gearbox is not covered, I'm afraid. If it had been a different bit of the gearbox, there's always a fucking loophole. So how do we know this? Because Russia itself actually fucking invaded. Russia said, oh, I guarantee the security of your borders and it fucking invaded right well they're not the only ones because the other two the uk and uh, that's us in america we said we'll guarantee we're doing fuck all we're sending fucking tanks to poland so poland can give them to well we're not so none of the three of us are living up to our promises it's fucking incredible it's incredible yeah while i'm on a rant it's been a <laughs> long time please uh, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm loving listening to this this is great yeah. While I'm on it, it's been now 40 minutes and I've not mentioned Palestine, so that's a fucking record. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've spoken about here 
sitting around and talk. I mean, basically, I'm anti-war, right? The last kind of decent war that had any kind of like uh, decent basis to it or some kind of reality, arguable basis was the Second World War. You might argue with that, but that's my position. The rest of it since then was of aggression. Let's look at Palestine. I completely understand the idea of diplomacy. I completely understand the idea of um, let's sit around and talk about this, okay? The Palestinians have been trying to do that since 1948. And they've gone in and sat down and had these conferences and been made all these assurances, the Oslo Accords, all this sort of bullshit from Israel. And they've turned out to be just as worthless as the security guarantees that were given to Ukraine. <coughs> Completely fucking useless. So then... Uh, there's two things. I'm anti-war, but I refuse to condemn the armed resistance of Palestinian, right? Hamas and uh, Al-Qassam brigades and so forth. I say, guys, I recognize that you're left with absolutely no alternative. It's the only thing you can do. It's the only thing you can do. And if you guys want to take the choice to be suicide bombers, if you guys want to take the choice that you shoot one uh, Israeli soldier and then your entire family gets wiped out, if you take that choice, I support it. It's fucking tragic. It's fucking terrible, but I support it. Okay. The rest of the world, what can we do? Right? We can't all go marching into Palestine with guns and shoot the, shoot the IDF and shoot the occupying force. Well, I guess we could, but uh, what can we do? BDS, boycott, divestment, sanctions, which takes us back to your point, Ron, when you're talking about sanctions harming uh, innocent people. Unfortunately, so does war, so does terrorism, so does insurgency, so does resistance. Uh, so th th there's no concrete action that you can take that doesn't harm the innocent. If they're talking, they're sitting around they're trying to behave like reasonable adults, which is what we're trying to do this evening. If that fails, you're fucked. There is no solution that will not harm the innocent. That's my position. Mm -hmm. Free Palestine. Fuck the illegal Israeli occupation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> um, hey, AB, my Jewish friend, you got anything to say about that? <laughs> Love to hear it. <laughs> to be fair, when 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 someone mentioned earlier on that, that Jack was Italian and I'd been laying into the Germans, I was sitting going, oh fuck, World War Two. Um but right. I, I'm I'm absolutely with Bill on that. Like I know you're saying, Ron, that Putin's been trying to um open a dialogue since 2014. But if that dialogue is essentially immovable that there's no compromise from their stance at all, then it's not a dialogue. It is a demand. And what you're experiencing is the West going, fuck your demands. If you want to have a conversation about it, let's have a conversation where we find compromise. At no point were the West willing to find compromise with Putin. Putin's but main I request was stop building nuclear bases on my border. And that was... Over the last 30 years, that request has been repeatedly ignored and violated. Just much in the same way that the Palestinians, uh, their main request is stop committing genocide on us. We don't like it. Uh, and the Israelis have went, yeah, but our magic book says we're all into, so suck a dick. You've basically just said, <laughs> you've basically just compared <laughs> NATO to Israel. Yes. Yes. Right, and okay. they're both bad. Uh, <laughs> AB, AB, now Ron brought this thing in here about AB, you're Jewish, and of course, uh, your, your perspective is just as valuable as anyone else's. Israel 
calls itself the Jewish state. So Israel identifies itself as Jewish. So then there's a conflation. Then there's a confusion about, uh, Ron, you mentioned the Bible or the Old Testament of the mm -hmm. Torah. So this holy book says, right, this has got fuck all to do. The Israel-Palestine situation has got nothing to do with Islam. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. It's got nothing to do with Judaism, right? One of the, one of the parties identifies itself as the Jewish state. A shitload of people, Israeli citizens, might be ethnically Jewish if there is such a thing. You can argue about that as well. But they're atheists and they don't go along to Shabbat and all this sort of stuff mm -hmm. and go to the synagogue yeah. all the time, right? The Jewish thing is fucking irrelevant. But it's very, very convenient for the leaders of Israel and Zionists to play the card and say, look, fucking yeah. six million Jews persecuted, not persecuted, killed in World War II. Fucking disgraceful, right? One of the worst genocides ever. I agree. A great uh, propaganda tool for Israel to then use to justify doing exactly the fucking same to the people in Gaza. But the Jewish thing, fucking irrelevant. Irrelevant. It is. Irrelevant. It is. Yeah, flippancy oh. aside, the, the Israel issue is actually an issue of imperialism. Um, I was just kind of being a smart ass when I, I can't yeah, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Again, it would be some naivety coming out of this. I kind of understood that the whole Palestine-Israel thing was essentially, um, yet again, uh, the result of Western interference of basically divvying up an area of land and saying, you guys can go and locate here, and it fucking going bang in everyone's faces. Well, the land of Palestine was promised simultaneously to two different groups of people. So yeah. in the, um, uh, what the fuck is that thing, 1914 Balfour Declaration, Great Britain decided it would be a good idea to promise the land of Palestine to the worldwide Jewish community, let's say. Millions of Jews all over the world, wherever you are, Great Britain, a third party, we will give you the right to travel from wherever you are to this fucking lump, in, lump of land in the Middle East, which is already filled with people. So that was a shit idea, you know. Um, but also, Britain had said to the Arab population, I guess you call them the indigenous population, but again, the Jewish people say they were, or the Israeli people say they were. Britain had said to the existing Arab population in the land of Palestine, if you help us in World War I to get rid of the Ottoman Empire, we will give you this land, right? We will give you this land. We'll guarantee it. Like, remember that earlier promise? We will guarantee you the security of your borders. You help us fight these bad Ottoman Turks. You get Palestine to yourself. Don't worry about it. So we promised. So Britain, who has got no fucking right to promise anything to anyone. I mean, if you want to promise fucking the land of Manchester, I mean, that's one thing. But if you're going to promise a land several thousand miles, what the fuck are you talking about? First of all, it had no right to promise anything. And secondly, it promised the same thing to two different fucking people. But yes, on a basic premise, Western interference made things yeah. worse. Absolutely. And the slogan was for, for people to make a liar, for Jewish people all over the world, to, a liar, Hebrew word, it means a, a immigration, a immigration to Israel. It was a land without people for a people without land. Sounds beautiful. It's bullshit. Maybe the Jewish people didn't have a land to call their own. That part might stand. But a land without people, complete fucking bullshit. The state of Israel was funded, was founded on terrorism and ethnic cleansing. Entire fucking towns, cities were leveled to fucking rubble. Forests planted on top of them so you never see that there was any settlements there. Five million Palestinians um, in, in exile around the world now, all ethnically cleansed. And I personally know 
Palestinians who've been ethnically cleansed and they're here in Scotland as refugees. Um, so, yeah, a land without people for a people without land. Sounds beautiful, sounds romantic, complete fucking bullshit. Um, Jack, just because we've not heard from you in a you got anything you want to add, bud? No, I agree with the, everything you said, as always. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was a reason we got along so well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was just uh, thinking about something that John said, um, that every country should be free to join whatever organization. You said something like that, no? Yeah, yeah uh, pretty much, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I agree with that, uh, with the sentiment. I, I think every country should uh, be free. And, you know, I believe in self-determination of the people and so on. But... Uh, most countries, most European countries that joined NATO didn't ask their citizens. So uh, in Italy, we had the movement, like a, a really strong movement in the 70s and in the 60s and in the 80s, uh, a really strong anti-fascist and social movement and so on. And we fought really hard against NATO uh, membership and, and stuff. And so it might be true that the government of the of different European countries decide to join NATO, but it's not true that a lot of people on in these countries agree to do, to to join NATO. Uh, we had tons of demonstration in front of NATO bases uh, some years ago. They built another NATO bases here, uh, near him, my hometown. Uh, with uh, nuclear missiles and whatever. So we had like a, a lot of nuclear missiles, American nuclear missiles under our ass right now in Italy. And we tried to fight that. And in so, at some points, the, the movement was so strong, the, the opposition movement was so strong that we actually uh, get inside the 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 NATO bases, and there were people sabotaging airplanes and stuff. So it might be true that every country should be free to join whatever they want. And it might be true that uh, the people, we should support self-determination for everyone. But most of European countries uh, were decide to enter NATO without asking to their citizens. Uh, an example, like in Italy, uh, we during the 70s and the 80s, uh, we had uh, there was a huge NATO operation to prevent communists to take power. We had the biggest communist party in the Western Europe, uh, and we had that huge uh, organization. It was called Gladio or something like that, and basically it's like a Roman sword. And this operation was also uh, in Greece and basically the with the dictatorship that was in place in Greece uh, was supported by NATO. Uh, so they basically made treaties and agreed about stuff with the Catholic Church in Italy and with mafia. So we had all fascists were freed from jail, mafia organization, Vatican and so on, they all agreed to form this uh, and secret services as well to form this uh, in order to to prevent communists to take power and to so it might be true 
that we should support self-determination of the people and so on, but we didn't have a choice because there was a lot of money behind. There was a lot of military power behind. So we opposed that, but we didn't have a choice to say, no, we oppose NATO and we decide as, a, as people to vote if we want to join NATO or not. And please correct me if I'm wrong here, because I am looking at Wikipedia um, and it could be entirely wrong. But Italy are shown as being um, subscribed to NATO on the 24th of August, 1949. So they've yeah. been in NATO since day one. Yeah. Um, but what you're talking about is basically an anti-NATO movement. Basically, um, basically the, the, so NATO, Italy joined NATO pretty early after the war. So in 49, I guess, yes. Um, but even in the 50s, so we freed fascists. So we never did what Germany did. So we freed fascists and we had a fascist party since the fifth, the fourth, 50, 1950. Uh, it was like old fascists and they were paid by NATO and CAA and so on. And they had ties with the Vatican and the mafia. And they were put in place to prevent communist, the biggest Western Communist Party to take power. Yeah. This started in the 50 and went on because so the biggest movement was like, yeah, it was from the 50s after the war to the 80s, then in the 80s, everything went shit, but it was already in place. So this uh, kind of, uh, I'm, I'm going to look at the name because I don't remember the English name. Um, uh, so Gladio. English. Operation Gladio. It was the code name for the clandestine stay behind operation in uh, in Europe by NATO and CAA, and they were in Italy, in Greece, I guess, in Spain uh, and other countries uh, in France as well. So they were uh, they were fascist uh, or groups and organizations armed by NATO, paid by NATO with the support of the Vatican and so on to prevent uh, Soviet Union and communist groups to uh, and communist parties to take power. I think for me, a major sort of point would be that we should be able to acknowledge that what the Russians are doing is wrong while at the same time acknowledging that it isn't completely unprovoked. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We should, uh, I think we should condemn uh, Russian uh, imperialism as well as NATO imperialism. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's more easier for us to fight against NATO imperialism because we are in a countries that are part of NATO. Uh, but absolutely, I think it's an inter-imperialistic war between two imperialistic power and the only people who, were, who will be victims will be the working class. And Either Russian working class, Ukrainian working class, Donbass working class. Every time two imperialistic powers fights each other, the working class is always the victim. So we should support the working class and we should condemn imperialism from both sides. Well, who was the, um, the poet that said, um, oh, apparently it's attributed to Lenin himself. 
Uh, but a, a bayonet is just a weapon with a worker on either end. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think. <sighs> I actually can't think of how I want to word what I was trying to say. And Ron, you mentioned that this all really kicked off in 2014. Uh, in terms of what I'm looking up, the most recent countries that joined NATO in terms of being on or very close to the Russian border was uh, like Estonia and Latvia, which was back in 2004. Yeah. Ukraine, Belarus, Finland are not currently part of NATO. Um, well, as far as I'm aware, neither is Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's Armenia, another hopeful. Or or Azerbaijan. <laughs> and I'm, what, see, you, you mentioned something about, you know, it being about not moving any further into the east. Yep. Are you essentially saying that NATO was meant to stop at Poland? Is that where it was meant to stop? Pretty much, I think Poland was as far as NATO was. Well, Poland was famously part of the Warsaw Pact for a very long time. So I think it was even further to the west than Poland. So then you're looking at Germany, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary. Um, I think and, and Republic and Slovakia. I mean, Poland was communist until the end of the 90s, <laughs> you know. It very rapidly became not communist and then became a member of the, the EU, uh, which was 2004. So those other countries, I said, I think they were also in the, the Soviet bloc as well. You know, so yeah, you're looking at Germany, basically. And when the Berlin Wall came down, that's when uh, more than negotiations happened, because that was that was the first chink. That was the first uh, domino that fell. Berlin Wall comes down, Berlin reunited, East Germany, West Germany. Because yeah. East Germany, or the, the Democratic Republic, that was communist, and that wasn't part of the Soviet bloc, but it was a very, well, it kind of was, really. It was under Soviet control. Uh, I'm just going to drop a heat map into the chat that's here um, that shows... Oh, it's not going to show it as a fucking... No, it won't. I'll make you download it a bit. Um, but basically, that heat map shows the countries in NATO and the year that they joined. I'm not seeing anything at all. There's no one who WhatsApp chats in the chat for this. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, I'm I've just looking... sent it to... It's only showing it to Jack, that's why. No, I've got it here. Everyone I, can, I cannot see anything. Yeah, hold on. It's, I've only sent it to AB. Hold on. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. WhatsApp to see it, yeah? Yes. Now, it's no WhatsApp. It's going to be on the chat Fucking here. Yeah. Oh. There we go. Right. There we go. Click to download. Potential security should attack. What am I doing wrong here? Because I'm, I'm usually, I usually do this sort of thing on my laptop and I do it on my phone. So Did why is this not just a link to a fucking website? That probably would have been easier. I just at first I thought I could just copy and paste the image, and then I was like, oh, I'll just send the image, and then yeah, you know, there was a method to my madness. Yeah, it's it like that work, like that can't handle the technology. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So countries in right. So these are these. This is a, a heat map showing like countries that have joined NATO and the time and yeah. sort of like a the time frame in which they had in which it happened. So you'll notice those green splotches were uh, the nineties. Uh, so that's when NATO started to really push towards uh, towards Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and this is part of the reason that Russia is so pissed off to do. So 
Question. Yep. Um, for the benefit of basically every naive listener um, that falls into the same camp as me, when did the Cold War officially end? Um, do you know what? That's a good question. Um, I, I suppose the fall of the Berlin Wall, Wall was the end of the Cold War. There you go. 1989? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're saying that's when the Cold War ended, and then immediately after that, NATO started this push towards yeah. the mm-hmm. East. In that 15-year window that we're looking at with this map, what was Russia doing? Because I would almost bet my mortgage on this idea that Russia wasn't sitting twiddling its fucking thumbs. In that time period, Russia's um, political philosophy was one of um, uh, economic expansion. So they were looking at building trade relationships with America, building trade relationships with wider Europe, hence all the gas lines, getting into Syria, getting into Africa. Um, But most of the Russian expansion, and again, this is going to make me sound like a pro-Russian fucking... But but mostly Russia's expansion at that in that period was purely economical. Um, their imperialist expansion didn't happen until sort of the mid two thousands. Once they moved into what was called Putin's third phase of leadership. So, for clarification of doubt, when this war <laughs> kicked off, and we suggested having this as a conversation on the on the podcast, I I sent a message into our group chat going. Why do I feel like you're going to be pro-Russia on this? And you said that's a gross oversimplification of my politics. Yeah. Um, because, well, frankly, in the time that I've known you, I've always picked you up to be pro-Russian. Pro-Soviet. Pro-Chinese. Right. Um, so you can understand why I would assume that you would have been pro-Russia in this, you know. Kind I've of- always been unab- unashamed of being pro-Soviet Union uh, and pro-China. Uh, but Russia is a, you know, a, a, a capitalist oligarchy. Uh, it is against everything that I stand for as a political individual. Right. You're saying that their their views or their expansion, their activities in that 15 year window were, you know, trade relations largely with, benign <laughs> with the with the West, right? Um. I find that really hard to believe to be the actual truth of the matter when you're considering this 15-year, what you're describing as as passive acts of aggression from NATO and specifically the areas that Russia was trying to build relationships with as it pushes towards the east. I find it really hard to believe that Russia would have been doing anything other than, well, not anything other than, but, you know, I find it hard to believe that Russia wouldn't have been doing its own things of its own sort of chess play in that time window. It was, but not necessarily in that direction. So just, just I pulled up a list of wars that involved Russia from 1991 onwards. So looking at that same time period, Uh uh, because 89 was also the end of the Soviet Afghan war. Uh, In 1991, you had the, um, I'm going to fucking butcher this, uh, oh, well, basically, it was Georgia and Russia. A bunch of fights between Georgia and Russia. Um, and it was states on that end. So it was Moldova, um, wars with Tajikistan, uh, you know, wars in the Middle East. That was the direction Russia was heading it. Uh, internal disputes and the Middle East. That was Russia's thing. 
But if we right. look at the list of wars that Russia was involved in in that time period, uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, so between 1991 and 1999, Russia were involved in eight wars. Mm-hmm. How many wars do you think the US were involved in in that time period? Oh, like about fucking 50 of them. <laughs> um, but my point being, right, if you're NATO and you're the, the good guys of the world as they paint themselves out to be, right? You're the UN, you're here to maintain peace across the entire world. And I mean, let's just forego the fact that the the um, the Iraq war, like from 2001 onwards, was entirely fucking illegal and against UN directives. But um, if, you are, if you are those organisations and you're watching this country huge country let's be perfectly fair fucking monolith of a country engaging in active wars you're going to want it might be going in the opposite direction to where you are just now but you're going to want to have a level of protection I mean they were already protected though by all the nuclear weapons I but you can understand why you would expand your protection, is what I'm saying. We've also I understand got to be... why imperialists would want to box Russia in. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't understand why they're doing it. I'm just saying that they shouldn't have done it, and it could have avoided all this. Yeah, I think Bill wants to come in. But you're, you're you're saying that in hindsight, they're they're taking these actions and strengthening their essential blockade with this armament because they're witnessing them in active conflict elsewhere. Well, Never mind the fact that it's sheer hypocrisy because we were also engaged in active conflict. Just just before I bring Bill back in, because Bill was going to say, uh, most of the, those eight conflicts that Russia was mostly involved in were civil uprisings in countries that Russia had agreed to protect in the opposite direction from where NATO were. So Russia were dealing with stuff in the East, which is what they got, promised they would do, while NATO were pushing forward into the East. Well, yeah, so w- w- within that time period that you're talking this, like 15 years or whatever after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Soviet Union just collapsed completely. And all these, you, you've got like uh, Hungary, uh, 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 Moldova, Albania, Bulgaria, Romania, all these countries which are now Western democracies or call themselves Western democracies. And they're as Western as France or Spain or Britain or whatever. So, yeah, Russia is still there, but the Soviet Union, so that also gives a flavour. Russia might have been wandering around having a couple of wars, notably Afghanistan, when it really uh, went to town. But basically, it's been fucking stripped of its assets, you know? All these countries are fucking bailing out and becoming Western as fast as they could, uh, which is quite startling. So that's going to be a bit unsettling as well. If you, I guess if you had a map of what the Soviet Union, the entire Soviet Union looked like, compared to what Russia or the Russian Federation is now, Russia, Belarus, and any countries that are still kind of allied to it. Fuck me. Uh, I mean, Russia is a big country, but it lost a shed load of territory, and it must have lost billions in terms of the economy for these countries that bailed out. So let's just have a wee gander at that. Um, is that... Oh, fuck's sake, that's really hard to make out. Um, see, for me, 
where you say all these, after the fall of the Soviet Union, these countries bailed out and became Western democracies as quickly as they fucking could. That, to me, screams a lot about what the Soviet Union was actually fucking like for these people to live under. Um, and I'm sitting going, well, if that's how they feel and that's how quickly they swung to the other side, then... As sort of, Jack sort of... Welcome. Sort of, as Jack highlighted, a lot of the times, these decisions aren't even being made by the people in these countries. Yeah. But by the states that have got a lot to gain for it. See, if you walk around Cuba and you speak to Cubans, one of my few skills I've got in life is I speak Spanish. So I've been to Cuba a couple of times and I've spoken to Cubans and it's really, really interesting because, of course, you don't have uh, nuclear weapons pointed at Cuba, but what you do have is uh, weapons of mass media. So the Americans, the American media is beamed at Cuba. It's only 80 miles across the water and they're subjected to Western propaganda relentlessly. American films, it's all this uh, American streets are paved with gold and so forth. So I've had conversations with all sorts of Cubans. Some of them swallow the hype and they think, you know, that life in America is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Then you look, right, and there's other Cubans, of course, who say, well, you know what? Our streets aren't paved with gold here, but, you know, we've all got a house. We've all got the basics of life. Uh, we've got the highest literacy rate in uh, the Americas, higher than actually the USA. We've got a lower uh, death rate from AIDS, cancer, fucking all sorts of stuff that Cuba has. Very poor country doing extremely well with the limited resources that it has. What's my point? My point is that, uh, well, let me go to my, the last part of the story. As we all know, a shitload of the refugees or the people who arrive in the United States from Latin American countries, Cuba, Honduras, wherever you want, when they arrive in America, they live a life of abject fucking poverty possibly a couple of rungs up the ladder from the fucking terrible situation they were in if they're fleeing a war zone or, or they're fleeing persecution. But the streets aren't paved with gold for the refugees that come to America from these, and especially for Cuba. You'll see rich Cubans swanning around in Miami, right, and slagging off Castro and slagging off the communist government. These were the cunts from the Mariera crisis, right? So way back now, when was this? In the 60s, um, or was it the 80s? Anyway, you can look it up, Mariela crisis. The American government was on uh, worldwide TV criticizing the Cuban government, saying all these political prisoners in Cuba, it's absolutely dreadful. We call on the Cuban government to release these political prisoners and act like a decent uh, democratic country. So Castro at that time said, OK, I'll do that. One way visas for the fucking lot of them. Anyone wants to go, you can go. And he emptied his jails of fucking rapists, of pedophiles, of all the fucking scum and the filth that he didn't want in Cuba. And he said, you can go. You can go to America, go meet your new life, good riddance, and don't come back. So one-way visa, don't come back. People are fucking coming across on rafts, boats, fishing boats, they're fucking locked. The scum and the filth of Cuba was exported to the United States, along with uh, a second wave of uh, people who had gone earlier when the, the revolution happened, with people who owned Bacardi Rum and all these guys, all the billionaires who'd been exploiting uh, Cuban wealth, they fucked off. So the people who are running around in the United States saying, uh, America's great and Cuba's bad. They're the fucking scum that Cuba didn't fucking want anyway. But the those people who are duped into thinking that Western uh, capitalism is a super duper idea, when they fucking arrive, it's fucking terrible. It's all about a propaganda war. So perhaps we can take some of the lessons from that 
to look at why all these uh, other countries in the Soviet Union want to become Western democracies. Although, to be fair, right, and my last point, I'll wrap this up. It's a bit like going back to Cuba. The situation for ordinary Cubans in Cuba is pretty bad. Why? Is it because that the Cuban uh, communist model isn't working? Not necessarily. It's because of the global embargo. So America has an embargo on Cuba and it bullies other countries that want to trade with Cuba and tries to intimidate them not to trade with Cuba, with the result that Cuba is kind of isolated and a bit fucked. It has some trade coming in and out, but not very much. Therefore, the ordinary people in Cuba suffer. So capitalists say that proves communism doesn't work. That proves Cuba's bad. Fucking doesn't. So the same thing happens with the Soviet Union, with Russia and all this sort of stuff when uh, the end of the Cold War, because Russia was isolated and it was being uh, boycotted by the rest of the world. So therefore, living standards in Russia were fucking terrible. So people wanted to escape to the West, right? But the living standards were fucking terrible because the West was strangling fucking Cuba. So you, you, your head goes around in the circles. That's not proof that the communism in Russia wasn't working. It's not proof that the communism in Cuba wasn't working. It was proof that Western imperialism is bad. The other thing, just on this idea, like the people, uh, you know, being, being subjected to propaganda, I've read four or five different articles or uh, stories of people that have left North Korea to the South and then have realised, actually, this capitalist rat race isn't worth it and have desperately tried to get back into the Democratic the People's North, Republic. Yeah. Yeah, like take us back, let us come home, please. Abby, <laughs> you've been awfully quiet, buddy. You got anything you want to say? I'm just listening. I'm I'm, I'm really <laughs> enjoying I'm really enjoying uh, the sort of the ping ponging of um, of opinions here. It's, I mean, I it's nice to, to hear. It's, it's nice to hear someone talk about communism other than you. <laughs> I'd I'd have to say mine's is less of an opinion. It's. Mine is probably what would be seen by more educated individuals as the absolute naive mind of someone in the West that... So hard on yourself, mate. But it's true. But you're talking about, you know, how the, I am probably the typical guided by Western media person in this conversation. So, you know, I'm I'm just putting out the, well, this is how we see it, because it's how it's being shown. Um, and it is really interesting to hear hear the other side. Um, I said I shared a link in the, the chat there to a quarter page that shows what I believe is the difference between what was the USSR yeah. and Russia and oh, well, what is Russia after the fall of that. Um, like that, I didn't realize Kazakhstan was that fucking big. Yeah, Kazakhstan's huge. Um, so it did look at that. I don't want to use the words Russia lost a lot of like its assets or its you know, because Russia wasn't the USSR, it was just part of it, as far as I'm aware. It was Russia was to the USSR as England is to Great Britain. All it right, was, okay. So, the, so, the, so the so the big the big brother bully that gets its way no matter what the other fucking constituent states want. Less less so, but basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to an extent, yep. Right, and we we talk about 
Western propaganda. Um, and then I'm just going to absolutely parallel that to why the fuck Scotland, for the most part, wants away from Great Britain and the United Kingdom. Because, well, fuck England. Because, well, don't actually, I mean, like, I'm not actually anti-English, but in terms of political power, it's all fucking bullshit, all the promises that are made. So I think the core difference between the, the, the actual state apparatus in each of these Soviet republics wasn't all that powerful, uh, but the individual Soviet people were. Um, and so is this case where government officials wanted to seize mayor power by becoming Western capitalist democracies, whereas the people overwhelmingly wanted to maintain the Soviet Union. So why have you then only got, taking Ukraine as the example, two areas that want independence from that? Surely you'd, you'd see huge swathes of Ukraine wanting independence and, and a move back towards something like the USSR. And it, wouldn't, and it wouldn't just be U- Ukraine. It would be the same across all of these states, in theory. The USSR has been gone for over 30 years. Uh-huh. Um, there is no USSR to want to go back to. No, I'm aware of that. But they're like when I say back to the USSR, I mean away from this Western Westernized democracy. Thirty you know, years of propaganda. Thirty years they go into school everywhere and being told the Soviet Union's bad. But when you interview people of a specific demographic or you know, a certain age, they all look back fondly on the Soviet Union. And you'll actually notice, see if you look at even Russia itself, Putin's uh, big sort of uh, oligarchical party is by far the biggest party represented in their parliament. But the second biggest party, by a very small amount, but the second biggest party is the Communist Party of Russia. There is, amongst certain people in these countries, a hunger for the golden days of the Soviet Union, the, the, the People's Republic. But, you know, it's a small amount of people that's getting smaller all the time. Even young leftists in these places often have a view of, we're very left-wing, but no like that. I, um, I don't know many Ukrainian people that I can refer to on this, but as you know, um, I did date a Ukrainian lass and... I forgot this this came up as a conversation because throughout the time that I was seeing her, which was a short space of time, conversations were had about the fact that you're a commie, conversations were had about the fact that AB's in Hungary uh, and his missus is Hungarian and um, Katerina was, well, essentially half Hungarian. But she told me stories of that she wrecked not that she had personally experienced, but she told me stories that her parents had experienced um, of the Soviet Union and soldiers essentially commandeering their house um, and taking like the like the upper floor or whatever it is. Um, and the fact that the billet holes are still there because the family refused to fix it because it serves as a reminder as to the, the way the Soviet Union actually treated its people. Now, that's one instance of someone that is very anti-Soviet Union. Um, Sounds and like it's not a fucking kulak, to be honest. Not from 
propaganda. Um, it's from familial experience. Also, not my girlfriend. I'm pretty sure my actual girlfriend would fucking um, hate. I mean, that story that. is propaganda. Because you have no idea if that's true. You have no idea if she's just no one just made that up. You have no idea if it was her parents or her parents, next door's neighbours, brothers, uncle. And also, I think it's not only propaganda, but there is a huge difference between personal memory and history. So if my family experienced something, if I had a, a par like my grandfather that was a fascist, maybe he was the best grandfather in the world. And in the house, he was care like he was taking care of these childs and so on. And he was like a good guy in the house. But what he was doing outside, it was a fucking fascist, you know? So I think there is a difference between personal memory and I say, very true. History. I think that was beautiful. So it's not, it's not yeah. the same thing, history <laughs> and personal memory. We cannot say, oh, my experience is this one. So this is like true for everyone who was living in the Soviet Union. And also, I, I don't know, Ron, but like the last year of Soviet Union uh, with revisionism and so on. So it wasn't how the Soviet Union started. The yeah, Soviet so he, Union, Soviet Union started as this big dream uh, to, of emancipation of the working class of workers and peasants and so on, and then with the years, because nothing is perfect, and it was the first time that something like that was tried. Uh, no one ever. Uh, try to take power like no the workers never took power before in this way there was the commune of paris and so on but it was on a smaller scale so of course there were mistakes and errors and of course we should learn from that mistakes and errors but still i mean when when the Czech Republic and and so on. The the you know the riots, um, this uh, Prague Spring and so on. I mean, the like this idea of the only like the Communist Party was the only party and so on. It's true, but the other people who were in jail were political uh, opposition and so on were fascists. There were parties that were like reactionaries and weren't helping the, the working class people. So they said, oh, we should legalize every party, but why we should uh, legalize fascist reactionaries? I don't give a fuck about legalized people who want to put like, you know, like stuff as well as was before the revolution because they are not doing anything good for the working class. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, something that, and because we're running a wee bit short on time, but something, one of the reasons I invite Bill on to talk on it, and we touched on it a wee bit when we touched on Palestine, is you'll have noticed a lot of propaganda the new, and I mean propaganda in the the, 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 the general sense, no in the necessarily negative sense, but there's a lot of pro-Ukrainian refugee propaganda. So there's a lot of, you know, bring them here, it'll be fine, it'll be great. The poor Ukrainians, look how horrible it is. This lovely Ukrainian granny showing people to make Molotovs. And yet we have no sort of compassion for people in Syria. We have no compassion for people in Palestine. In fact, I even raised the point to my employer because I was feeling a bit spicy. 
Um, they, they've made it so that you won't be charged if you call Ukraine to like make sure your relatives over there are okay. And so I asked, well, what about people in Palestine? Is it only the victims, the white of genocide that we are concerned about? Um, and I think that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> well, speaking, of, speaking of specifically that, actually, I, did I send you, I oh, know I showed you the video, the Trevor Noah um, video where he was talking about uh, how this had been yeah. uh, reported. Um, it's on TikTok and I can't really be asked going on and getting it and um, like screen sharing or whatever else so everyone can see it, but it, it is absolutely stark how they are reporting certain elements of it um, when they're saying uh, these are white European families. Uh, it's it's not people from, it's not, it's not dark colored people. It's not, it's not Arabs, you know, so suddenly it's more atrocious. It's more horrifying because it's on our doorstep and you're like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the fuck? Um, yeah. It, I, not wrong. You no, know, they're, they're, they're not wrong, but the way in which it's reported is, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fucking bad. Mm-hmm. It's, even, it's even more blatant than that when it's bad enough when Ron compared the situation in Palestine, Syria, whatever, and the refugees are coming here, how they're treated compared to Ukrainian refugees being treated. But even just a few weeks ago, we were shown images of Polish soldiers pointing firearms at Syrian refugees on the border with Belarus, putting up fucking barbed wire. Syrian refugees dying in the forest, freezing of cold, their corpses frozen, covered with ice. A few days later, we're then shown pictures of these Ukrainians and Kasia Madera, who's a BBC journalist and she, she's Polish and English. She's over there. She's chatting away in Polish with these Ukrainian people. By the way, they couldn't fucking understand her because Ukra- Ukrainian is very difficult from, very different from Polish. Point being, in the same fucking border, right? The same fucking border. It wasn't, this happened two years ago, now this has happened. No, a couple of weeks before, Syrian refugees being fucking held at gunpoint, not allowed to cross the Belarusian border into Poland, and then were fucking bowing down and kissing the fucking feet of the Ukrainian people. Why? Because of what? Yes, we should accept the Ukrainian refugees. Absolutely. <laughs> no fucking borders. No human is illegal. Absolutely. These people are fleeing war. It doesn't matter whose fault is they're fleeing war. But it's fucking blatant. And nobody's calling it out. It's fucking incredible. I saw that quote from Trevor Noah. It was fucking scandalous. But it, it, it's amazing. It's like, it's like we said right at the very beginning. It's the first thing that people are told. That's what they remember. Yep. Russia bad, Ukraine good. After that, you can do what the fuck you want because people can only think one fucking thing at a time, but it's fucking scandalous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't actually. I mean, this has been great for me, Bo, because it really does bring me back to the old days of solidarity. Um, <laughs> uh, like joke, I have missed this sort of thing. But I think we should yeah. maybe look at um, wrapping up uh, John, have you got any final statements? I and unfortunately feel like um, the US and the UK are going to inevitably get drawn into this and it's going to escalate. I don't see it going any other way. 
I, I see it escalating and that thought should be fucking terrifying. And the only other thing I would add in, I didn't say it earlier on, you were talking about it being about having nukes on your border. We need to remember that we're talking about countries that can hate each other with the nukes that we've already got here anyway. So we don't need them on the border for this to be a problem. Um, it is genuinely quite terrifying when you think about it in, in context like that. Um, I, I do only see it escalating further. But we fucking need the media to stop putting pictures in the yeah. paper of, oh, if they fire a nuke and it hits here, this is the fucking fault. Fuck off. Stop That's it. quite scary. Um, AB, it's, you got anything you'd like to well, wrap up on? Well, I, well, more on my end. Considering like, Ukraine is quite literally, you know, my next door neighbor in terms <laughs> of where I live. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm obviously happy that it's for now localized to Eastern Ukraine and it hasn't come across the river. Uh, not to say we don't have nights here where we don't, where we don't hear explosions and we're kind of, we're kind of thinking, is someone shooting up fireworks or is, are, are we actually hearing shocks from the war? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit difficult to have a, a bit of a one-sided opinion at the moment based on the fact that like the amount of the amount of propaganda that's going on in Hungary at the, Hungary at the moment surrounding this because Hungary is literally I think it's we're about a week away from having uh, from having uh, an election here for the new prime minister so the amount of propaganda that's being thrown around the amount of promises and based you know exact it, it's it's what Bill said earlier about these um, these sort of bullshit promises that are made by uh, whether whether it be by countries, whether it be by superpowers, or whether it be by the people who represent said country, um, we've had nonstop sort of things saying like Hungary will not send uh, troops to Ukraine. Hungary will not send troops to Ukraine. The thing is, Pitch has got one of the largest uh, military camps, like, like one of the largest military bases, training camps in Hungary. And the last week, we had, the city has been flooded with troops leaving. So it feels so it's fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the same sort of mindset as John. You know, you can, you know, people can promise whatever the hell they want. This is, I, I, too, I see this being a, a, a lot bigger. And the fact that it's like I'm literally right next door to this thing, uh, yeah. You're just gonna have to come here, maybe. Just, I, I may have to, because I think I'm hung, I'm a Hungarian citizen now. If if they send people, I get drafted. <laughs> you've just you've just made me feel really fucking good about coming out to your wedding in August, mate. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay, uh, Bill, have you got anything you'd like to add as we close in? Yeah, I mean, what Ab was saying there, it, 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 it's it's really hard. I mean, I'm I'm fairly dogmatic. I like to see things in black and white because I'm fairly simple. And I've got two philosophies. One is I'm anti-war. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very aggressive. I'm not a violent person. and I don't believe in national violence either. I'm also anti-nuclear weapon. I, I would like to get nukes out of Get an independent Scotland and get the nukes out. However, having said that, I really don't see what other option Putin had apart from a military invasion, although I'm anti-war. And the anti-nuclear thing. The only reason I don't think, John, I don't think this is going to escalate. I think the only reason that we haven't sent um, NATO troops into Ukraine to help Ukraine is because Russia has nuclear weapons. I'm anti-nuclear weapons. But this is also the only reason why North Korea 
has never been overrun because they have nuclear weapons. They're keeping them safe. So my core beliefs, I'm finding them challenged. So. Uh, Jack, my good friend, have you got anything you'd like to add? No, I I like how the, the discussion went. Uh, I don't have anything to add, actually. Um, I'm scared if this escalates, like I was scared last week and last days because uh, I'm in Italy right now, but we moved to Sweden recently. And I was when when Putin said about uh, when Putin talked about Sweden and Finland, I was scared to death because my wife is still there. Uh, but I think today I read an article that Sweden and Finland talked to the European Union and they said they will not join uh, NATO to escalate, to not escalate stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, even if I'm really worried about stuff, I, I I want to be positive. I want to stay positive, but I can see like negativity around them. Yeah. I do they just speaking of like fear. I try not to get too sensational about what I'm reading in the news. But when I read about the nuclear missile operators being put on high alert, I have to admit, even I felt a wee pit in my stomach. Eh? Where is this headed? You know, where are we going? Yeah. Um, I think I would just like to close with a, a quote for a book that I read that I no longer can find. Uh, but the quote that I have here is um, if sacred places and holy men are spared the ravages of war. And I say declare all places sacred and all men holy. Amen. Yep. We normally end this show on a joke, but I think that's quite inappropriate given the nature of the conversation. We opened on a joke, but I think closing on a joke is going to be quite bad punctuation. So I just want to say thanks so much to Bill and Jack for for joining us, for giving us their time, uh, and for sharing their Mm -hmm. viewpoints and opinions. Um, And thanks Thanks very much to everybody for listening. I have one final thought to add. Sure. That hour and a half there, which I'm pretty certain is going to need next to no editing, is how people with different views and opinions can actually have an adult conversation without it having to be a fight. And maybe the the world needs a bit more of that shit going on right now. As I've said a few times in the past on this show, I should just be in charge. And all Fuck you. If, people could, if people could do this we would not have we would not have world war three starting well again thanks so much everybody for listening thanks to if our ron guests was, for joining in and if ron was in charge we would have world war three no because there'd be no there'd be no wars <laughs> i would ban war immediately uh, i'd ban war and i'd ban silly jesus haircuts and anyone, <laughs> and anyone that went to war, you declare war on them. Fuck them. Exactly. Exactly. And I'd have my capital city on the moon. I don't know, actually, just a quick thing, just this will be the bumper at the end. Do you guys know that I'm the king of the moon? You bend have, over and put, if you pull your pants down and bend over right now, I swear no. to God, I'm kicking you out. <laughs> no, I declared myself the king of the moon and the new lunar kingdom in New Dunfermline. Um, I declared it in 2009, and I offered anybody who disputes it a square go, and nobody has challenged me. Yet. You know that Yet. there's a, a stars and stripes planted on your sovereign territory. That is bleached yeah. white now. The sun has bleached that white, and I'm going to go man. up there, and I'm going to draw my flag on it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's, that's now a, a flag of surrender. So, hey, there you go. So can we... 
Can we basically now just rename Ron's arsehole of the Sea of Tranquility? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is on the dark side of the moon, right? It's Can we no name it the Sea of Tranquility? Ah, uh, fucking oh. hell. So much for not ending on a joke. You've been <laughs> listening to Jarcast, soon to yeah. be rebranded Weirdy Beardy Beardy. Soon to be rebranded Weirdy Beardy Batterini. Yeah, the only podcast all brought to you from apps. Ron's Sea of Tranquility. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. There we go. Good, good night, night. everyone.